Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Good to see you guys. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Troy. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, grateful that you joined us here in person. Uh, also, all you online, welcome. Uh, in fact, we have a couple that watches every weekend uh, uh, from all the way from California. And they're, but they're here this morning. It's better live, isn't it? It's good on TV. Do I look thinner in person? Or am I fat? Okay, whatever. <laughs> don't, don't answer. But Welcome. Good to see you guys. I hope you had a great holiday. I sure did. It was a lot of fun. Um, went and spent some time with my family. Uh, by the way, last weekend, I appreciate you giving us the weekend off. Um, you know, for the last several years, we've taken the weekend after Christmas and given our staff time to just go have uh, a weekend off with their families and giving our volunteers time off. And so I apologize if you showed up for church last week and you're just kind of looking through the window going, what's going on? Appreciate you letting us have the time off, but welcome back. Glad that you came. What a beautiful day. Oh my gosh, it's been a while since we've seen sunshine around here, a lot of snow, a bluebird day today, but thank you for coming to church. I hope this will bless you. So um, I, uh, I think we've all have met someone in our life at some point that we would uh, maybe say that seemed to have um, an unshakable faith. And if you think about it, you, you've met somebody, you know somebody that you kind of look up to, and they just seem to have a faith that just kind of hangs in there, endures. You know, I, I mean, even if you're not you know, a religious person or you don't seem to have a faith of your own, you have met somebody at some point that just seemed that no matter what came their way or what happened in their life, that just seemed to have a deep confidence that uh, God was still in control, that they were cool. And, and when we see that, and when we see that in a person, I know that I often think to myself, gosh, what, how would I respond to that situation if I was in it? How would I deal with that crisis? But I, I'm impressed. It's amazing when we see people like that. Um, I have a friend that goes to SCC here, a fellow gentleman who uh, recently lost his daughter to COVID. Um, she was in her 40s. She was in good health. And so this was completely unexpected. Um, and then you add on top of that about a year and a half, two years before, um, he lost his son in a tragic car accident. Just way too much. And uh, I, I, when I met with him and I went over to his house, I fully expected to see an enormous amount of grief and sadness. But it was the opposite. <laughs> I went there hoping that I would be able to encourage him and hoping that I might be able to inspire him. And instead, he encouraged me. And he inspired me with his faith. There are people, these people, people like that, they just seem to be convinced that there is more to this world than what we can see with our eyes, right? And they're just like everyone else. They're just like us. They, they experience disappointment and pain and suffering just like all of us. But they experience all of that through a context, through a lens, of uh, faith in a God who knows them and who cares for them and who loves them. And uh, it's, not, it's not about their beliefs, you know, that they have. You might be able to argue and debate with them about what they believe, but you can't deny their faith. You can't deny it. it it's visible. It's, it's there. They have an unshakable faith, and it's amazing to see. And so the question that I want to ask uh, and hopefully answer in this series is where does that kind of faith come from? Is it magic? Is it just come out of thin air on people? People born with that? 
And, and maybe the other question I want to ask is, how do we become that person? How do we become that person that just is able to navigate it? And maybe you, you used to have a faith like that, um, and, and you've lost it. It's kind of faded away. Or maybe you've never had a faith, but you want one like that. I hope is that this series will, is going to be for you. If you're, if you're lost, if you've lost your faith, or if you um, are looking for faith, or maybe you just want to kind of strengthen and build up your faith, I want to challenge you and encourage you to come these next four, five weeks here and be with us as we go through this series together of being that person. I think it'll encourage you, okay? And so let me just start this off um, with this thought. When you read about Jesus in the Gospels, uh, you, you, one, one thing that you will discover if you're looking for it, it, it's something that you can easily overlook, but it's brilliant, is that there are only two things that ever amazed Jesus when he was on earth. I mean, we love this earth. We look at the views and we're like, oh, that's amazing, that's beautiful. Jesus created it, so it's kind of old hat to him. It's not any less beautiful, but he's just not amazed by that. He was only amazed by two things. The first thing that he was amazed by, we see in Matthew chapter 8, and Matthew tells us that Jesus was amazed by this. And it's a familiar story. Jesus and his disciples were uh, outside a village, and a Roman centurion, a military fella, um, walks up to Jesus. Now, the disciples weren't too happy about this because the Romans were sworn enemy and they didn't like him coming to Jesus but the centurion walks up to Jesus and he says this he says hey um, I have a servant at home who is sick could you would you please heal my servant and Jesus as Jesus normally would he quickly says yeah let me I'll follow you home where we got to go but the centurion says something interesting he, he, he says no you don't have to do that see I understand how this works in verse 9, he says, For I myself am a man that is under authority, and I have soldiers that are under me and under my authority. In other words, the soldiers that are under me, they obey me, but they don't obey me because of who I am. They obey me because of who I represent. I represent the Roman Empire. They better follow that, right? I'm under that authority, and they're under my authority, and I represent the Roman Empire. And Jesus, I have been watching you, and uh, it, it is clear to me that you represent something bigger too, right? Uh, and so, if you want to heal my servant, um, you don't have to go there. Just do, do what I do. Say the word, and it'll be done. Just make the command, and it'll be done. Look at this. Uh, Matthew says that when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. It caused him to step back. He was impressed with this, right? He was like, what is this? And, and, and you and I have to wonder, what's so amazing about that statement? Um, well, in verse 10, Jesus tells us himself. It says this. He says, truly, turn to the crowd, just like I am now. He says, truly, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. In all of Israel, I have not found such great faith. Jesus was impressed and amazed at this guy's faith. He was amazed at his boldness, at, his, at the audaciousness. But most importantly, I think he was amazed at his intelligent faith. In other words, this guy had made some reasoning and understood some things and put it together and had a faith in Jesus that was intelligent. And so you might go, well, what made that so intelligent? What made this faith so amazing? This guy put two and two together. He, 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 when he recognized who Jesus was and he recognized what Jesus could do, he went all in. 
He's like, Jesus, if you say this will happen, it'll happen. That's amazing faith. Now, uh, let me give you a, a fun fact, and maybe you've never thought of this, but if you grew up in church or if you hung out with a lot of religious people, this might surprise you, but Jesus was never amazed by someone's Bible knowledge or by their obedience to God. Those are two good things to have. They're important traits to have. But he was never amazed by that. They never amazed Jesus. Um, He never went, wow, Doug, you are so smart. What an incredible insight. I better write that down. He never did that. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. But he never was amazed by someone's knowledge. And he was never amazed by someone's obedience. He never went, wow, wow, you did what I told you to do. That blows my mind. He never did that. In fact, what truly amazed Jesus, the thing that really got his attention and stopped him in his tracks was when someone showed extraordinary faith in God. And it wasn't just a faith that was, you know, a matter of words. It wasn't just, you know, a head faith or a heart faith. It was a faith, this is what caught him, a faith that was lived out in the reality of their life. In other words, you could see it. Something they did. The second time uh, Jesus was amazed was during his hometown, a visit to his hometown uh, of Nazareth. You might remember the story. Jesus went back to Nazareth and he was doing some teaching and he was healing people. And at first people were astonished by what they saw. They were just, their minds were blown. But then, um, I don't know what it is, maybe jealousy, familiarity, uh, unbelief creeped in. And uh, Mark tells us in Mark 6, 3, he said that people began to kind of grumble amongst themselves. They said, isn't, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't that that kid who was a carpenter? His dad was a carpenter. Isn't this, isn't this Mary's son? Right? Do you remember him? Isn't this the brother of, of James and Joseph and Simon? And don't, don't some of his sisters still live here in the area right now? Uh, in other words, they're like, who does he think he is coming back and talking to us and preaching at us like this? Who, I mean, he's nothing special. We know him. He's just one of us. <laughs> Look at how Jesus responded to this in verse 6. It says, and Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. So here we have two paradigms, two ends of the spectrum. Uh, Jesus was amazed by great faith, but he was also amazed by a lack of faith. And the question is, is where do you and I fall in that spectrum? Where are you on that? Hmm. And so I just want you to get this, that it is clear um, when you read the life story of Jesus that he had an agenda. And his agenda for his first century uh, followers, as well as his 21st century followers, is the same. And that is, is that you and I would be people of faith. He's not asking us to be the smartest, sharpest tack in the body. He's asking us to be a person of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Jesus is the, he wants us to live by faith. That we wouldn't live by sight or live by what is over and ever happened in our brain and whatever it tells us, that we would live by faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, unfortunately, that word has gotten bastardized a little bit over the years, and it's caused some confusion. Uh, For example, I want you to get this. Having faith, having faith isn't the same thing uh, as being hopeful or optimistic. 
See, we think faith is some magical, mystical thing. Uh, and, and it's not the same thing as being hopeful or optimistic. Now, you and I should be hopeful and optimistic. That's, those are good things again. But faith is more than that. Um, faith is always connected to an object. I know this is a little too deep for you early in the year, but don't stick with me. Faith is connected to and related to an object. Um, there is an object that informs our faith, that encourages and allows us to stand in faith on that. For example, how many of you traveled uh, in an airplane over the holidays? I feel sorry for you this last year. It was a pretty crazy deal, right? But get this. Uh, when you board a plane at the airport, you might be optimistic. It's going to be a good flight. hope it's going to be a good flight. Or you might even say to yourself, I, I hope um, that we arrive safely. Right? But here's the thing. Neither of those things are bad. But let's be clear. You're not just hoping things will go well. You're doing more than that. Um, here's what you've done. You are placing your faith in, number one, the mechanical integrity of that airplane, and number two, the technical experience of that pilot. Those two things combined uh, allow you to have faith. You trust that the pilot and the plane are flightworthy, and that gives you the confidence to get on a large piece of metal that's going to be hurtling through space at 500 miles an hour, Right? You have faith in those two things. They are the objects of your faith. And so faith isn't wishing that things are going to go well. <laughs> wish upon a star. I hope and I wish. And they're not just being optimistic that I, you know, things usually turn out okay. No, that's hope. That's optimism. Jesus wasn't amazed. I want you to make the distinction. Jesus wasn't amazed by the centurion's uh, hope or his optimism. He was amazed by his faith in him, in Jesus, right? Jesus was amazed at his faith in, number one, who Jesus was, and number two, what Jesus could do. And Jesus thought, wow, that's what I'm looking for. Now, my point is, is that Jesus made himself, and you need to understand this, Jesus made himself uh, and established himself as the object of our faith. Whatever you're believing today, it should center around Jesus. He invited his followers to not just believe in him, but to put their trust in him. Um, you might remember this. On the night uh, of his arrest, uh, Jesus had this very long and very complicated conversation with his disciples, and it was confusing to them, and they kind of got upset by what he was telling them. And at the end of the conversation, Jesus famously said this. You might remember this. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe, you trust in God, right? But then he says this, trust also in me. Trust also in me who is right here before you. You can see me. You can hear me. Trust in me. He was establishing himself as the object of our faith. He was saying, trust me. Trust me just like you would trust God. But the problem, and you know this is true, is that many people have a hard time trusting God. Why? It's hard to trust something that you can't see. It's hard to trust something that you can't hear, or you can't touch, and you can't feel. 
It's just this ethereal thing out there, and I'm supposed to put my trust in it. And so a lot of people struggle with that. And that brings up something else that's going on here that I want to point out. And it's something that we talk about here at this church from time to time, but not nearly enough, and it's this. One of the reasons that Jesus came to earth was to reveal to us what God is like. What God is like and what God is into. Um, there was a lot of confusion back then, just like I think there's a lot of confusion today. Um, in fact, if you wanted to, you could do a survey in Steamboat. and You could walk downtown and you could ask people, what is God like? Tell me what God is like. And you would get answers that run the gamut. Amen? Especially in Steamboat. And so uh, there's, there's confusion, there's, dis, there's assumptions. And uh, in fact, um, uh, one of the reasons that maybe you personally are disappointed with God or maybe one of the reasons that you've kind of, uh, you quit believing in God is because, probably because some of some assumptions that you have about God. And when, and when Jesus came, even though he showed up in the midst of a very uh, religious community, there were so, so many assumptions about God, and most of them were completely wrong. And so Jesus came to clear that up. Jesus came to uh, correct the wrong assumptions that we have about God. He came to reveal and to explain what God is truly like. Let me give you a couple examples. In John chapter 9, uh, Jesus and his disciples were walking through the temple, and they came upon a man who was blind, a blind man. And uh, back then, uh, there was a belief, similar today, that God punishes people with illnesses. That you've been punished, and therefore you must have this illness. And that was the belief. And so the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, uh, uh, who sinned here? That they're being punished for this. Was, was it this man or was it his parents that caused God to do this to him, to cause him to be born blind? And Jesus said, no, <laughs> you got it all wrong. That's not how God works. And so he kind of explained that. Then uh, another uh, incident, uh, Jesus was teaching and, uh, and, and a fellow, uh, while he was teaching, asked Jesus, hey, 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 wait a second. I know that scripture, Old Testament, um, our scriptures say that I am to love my neighbor. Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, who do I have to love? Do I have to love him? Or do I have to love them? I mean, who do I have to love? And uh, you know the story. Jesus told the, the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the point of that story was simple. Contrary to popular belief, God doesn't have favorites. And you shouldn't either. You don't get to pick the winners and the losers in your life. Um, your neighbor is whoever has a need that you can meet. That's your neighbor, and that's who you are to love. Jesus went on uh, in Matthew 5.43. He said, you have heard it said. There's a saying out there that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. <laughs> and the crowd's like, true that. That is a good saying. That's true, yes. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I say to you, that you are to love your enemies. And the crowd was like, what? We gotta love those who are treating us badly? Even God doesn't love his enemies, Jesus. And Jesus is like, wrong again. <laughs> Let me prove it to you. He says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, that you'll be just like your Father in heaven. Because look what he does. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. 
He causes the rain, which is a good thing, to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God, you may not believe this, God gives grace to everyone. He loves everyone. Boy, that was so different than what people had assumed about God. And so the Apostle Paul, uh, who came a little later, he understood this, uh, this, uh, this, this confusion better than anyone. Uh, he grew up a Jew, uh, and he hated Christianity. He hated Christians, so much so that he went all over the world imprisoning and even murdering Christians. I mean, he's a terrorist. And then one day, <laughs> Paul became a Christian, freaked everybody out. And then Paul began to travel all over the world talking about Jesus Christ. And so Paul understood um, the relationship between the Jewish religion and the, and the pagan religions of the world, because he had traveled all over, and this new thing that Jesus had brought. He understood that. And so in his letter to the Colossians, um, he, 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 he refers to some of the world religions, and, and, and including Judaism, and he writes this. He says this. Don't miss this. This is brilliant. He says, for these things are but a shadow of what was to come. I love that. It's an interesting uh, parable. Uh, he talks about a shadow. Uh, you, can, uh, you can learn a lot about a person by looking at their shadow. For example, I can see mine right here, and it's about four feet wide. Is that pretty accurate? <laughs> Semi accurate, right? It's not too tall. It seems really smooth and round up here. Uh, so you can learn some things about by looking at someone's shadow, but you can't learn everything, right? And in fact, when the object of the shadow finally appears, um, all of a sudden, boy, you can get a much clearer picture. That shadow becomes like, that's no big deal. That's, that's nothing compared to the real thing, right? And, and, and so uh, uh, you can learn a lot about someone by looking at their shadow, but you can't learn everything. And eventually, when the thing appears, the real thing, the shadow becomes less important. Not because it's incorrect, but because um, it's uh, incomplete. You don't have the full picture. And so look at what Paul says. About Jesus. He, he, he says, for these things, all these faiths and religions and traditions and beliefs are but a shadow of what was to come. But the reality, however, is found in Jesus Christ. He's the real deal. He is. Paul, this is crazy. Paul and all those other disciples grew up in a culture um, that was surrounded by the shadow of God. And subsequently, they had a sense of what God was like. They kind of could sense, this is what God's into, and this is what God's not into, and this is how he acts, you know. They had a sense of it. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, they had a clearer picture of what God was really like. He was the visible image of the invisible God. And so my point here is that if you're wanting to know what God is like, you're here this morning and you're starting your new year and you're like, okay, I want to, I got some confusion. What is God like? Um, don't start reading in the book of Genesis. Okay, don't begin in Genesis. Begin with Jesus. Start there. You'll get a much clearer picture quicker than that. Because Jesus isn't just a chapter in this story. He is the story. This whole book is about him from the beginning to the end. Visible 
image of an invisible God. And this is why Jesus said over and over and over to people, um, look at me. Look at me. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And more importantly, if you can trust me, then you can trust God. If you can see how I'm operating, how I'm dealing with people, if you can trust me, then you can put your trust in God, in the Father. Which brings us to kind of the question we're wrestling with. Why was faith, why was trust so important to him? Well, let me ask you a simple question. Um, What are the best relationships built on? What are some qualities that that make a good, solid relationship uh, thrive? What are some? Trust. I mean, I'll suggest to you if there is no trust, there's really no relationship. It's bad. Some of you have had trust violated in a relationship, and it was kind of over, and it's been over. Trust. Without trust, you don't have it. So trust. Not fear. By the way, dads, if you're using fear to deal with your children, it's going to last for a little while, but it's going to fall away. And not obedience. If it's all about you doing what I want you to do, then we can be in relationship. That will fall away. The best relationships are built on trust. And God wants us to trust him. Why? Well, let's tie this all together. And and we'll see why trusting and putting our faith and trusting who he is and what he'll do is so important to him. Number one, first of all, let me remind you, God revealed himself to us through Jesus. Okay? Why? Because it's hard to have a relationship with a shadow. You don't really know where you stand. Can't always tell what's happening and what he wants. It's just, it's vague. And so God revealed to himself, himself to us through Jesus. Number two, Jesus invited us to trust him. Look at me, and you can understand, and you can see how I act, and then you can have this trust. And why? Because trust is how relationships are built. And if you and I could trust the one that God sent, then we might be able to trust God. We could probably trust God. And here's the most amazing thing. When you and I, don't miss this, when you and I begin to trust God and put our faith in God, Our relationship with God is restored back to its original place before Adam and Eve chose not to trust God and everything's been downhill since then. But yet when you and I trust God and and take Him at His word and lean into that, our relationship with Him starts to flourish. Why? Because it's what great relationships are built on, trusting God. And trusting God is where you and I will experience the maximum blessings and the maximum benefits of having a relationship with God. By the way, right now, if your faith in God isn't doing much for you, my sense is that you're not trusting Him. You're not actively trusting Him and, and, and believing that He'll do what He said He will do. But when you do trust Him and what He's told you to do, all of a sudden the world kind of opens up. And so, this is good. <laughs> it's no surprise why Jesus, when he, when he taught, he taught that spiritual maturity, being spiritually mature, can be measured by our level of trust in God. You and I would probably pick something else. Who's the most spiritually mature person in this room? Well, of course, Pastor Troy, Reverend Lewis, as you so call me. He knows the Bible more than anyone. 
He is the most spiritual mature. Bible knowledge is not equated to spiritual maturity. Well, uh, who has the most gray hair? Troy has plenty of gray hair. Some of you are like, you have no hair. I have plenty of hair. It's all on my back and it's all gray. Don't you worry about that, all right? Or who, who can talk the most or sing the loudest or who's the most gifted? We think that's the spiritual mature. No, no, no. Jesus taught that the spiritual mature are those who have the most trust, the most faith in God. Think about it. Jesus constantly set his disciples up for these little things where he was challenging them to come and step in faith and to trust him. And at the end of some of these, he would go, oh, ye of little faith. you got to grow your faith. You need to trust me. Peter, step out of the boat. Peter's like, huh? Come to me, Peter. Trust me, Peter. And when we do that and when Peter did that, he saw things and experienced things that he couldn't explain ever. Jesus was constantly doing that. And so God, this is so good, God wants you and I to get to the point in our life where we walk through this world asking ourselves this question. What would I do? What would I do in this situation if I was fully convinced that God was with me? What would I attempt? What would I try what would I be willing to do if I really believed that God was with me? You're driving and pushing your cart around city market, come around a corner and you almost bump into a friend. Oh, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. See, down, what's up? Oh, I got a, I got, I, I've got cancer. Oh, that's terrible. Tell me about it. Tell, oh, man, well, God bless you, man. Well, I'll be praying for you. And you cruise away. What would you do if you were fully convinced that God was with you, would you wheel back around and say, hey, I'm not going to pray for you later. I'm going to pray for you now. I believe that this will help in some way. I don't know how, but I'm going to be obedient to it. And right here in the store, yes, right here, can I pray for you? Well, that's crazy. That's courageous. And you and I, <laughs> we have met people who do this. They're not afraid to go out on a limb with God. They're not, they're not hindered by things. They, they just kind of believe God, and that settles it. Uh, they're, they're, they're some of the most generous people in the world. They're, they're giving because they know that God will provide. They're not worried about that. They're the most forgiving people. They're quick to forgive because they're like, who cares? I'm not going to hang that up. I'm not going to do that. They're the most loving. And like I said, they're most courageous, man. When, when, when crisis hits, they step up. When the chips are down, they're there for you. These are the kind of people that we look up to. And uh, their, their, uh, their faith, my point is, is that their faith isn't just words. Praise Jesus. Praise God. Going to church. Their faith is seen by the way they respond to life and to death and to hardships and to difficulties. You can see it played out. And when you and I see that kind of faith, something inside of us goes, I want that kind of faith. I want to be. I want to be that person. We wonder where they get it. You know, we wonder how did they get this confidence in God? Where did that faith come from? Is it a gift? Or is it magic? Or is it something else? Well, the truth is, is the reality is, is that it comes, and, and don't miss this. That kind of faith comes from a growing awareness that Jesus is the perfect reflection of God. That I've seen God. 
I know what God is like. I know what God likes. And so I'm going to step into that. And, and, and that by following him and his example and by trusting in him and what he has said, I'll see the goodness of God in my life. That's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. And that is enduring faith. And that's the kind of faith that will pull you through difficulties and lift you up when times are bad. In fact, a long time ago, in a place far, far away, um, Julie and I were once youth pastors. Can you picture me as a youth pastor? No? I was a good youth pastor. I was a nut. Um, uh, One of our goals as youth pastors was to help our students find a faith in God that would help them endure. Not just a youth group Wednesday night kind of faith. Not a youth camp faith that they got last summer that kind of was, you know. But a, a faith that would endure. That would help them endure middle school and high school and endure the attacks on their faith in college and lead them and take with them into their adulthood. We wanted to give them a faith that would endure the disappointments and the challenges that would inevitably come into their lives. That they wouldn't bail out when things got tough. And so we asked uh, friends and mentors and we read books. And eventually we kind of recognized that there's a recipe uh, that produces a strong, mature faith. That isn't shallow, but it's deep and it's strong and it's able to stand and, and withstand the wind and the rains that come. And so what I want to do over the next few weeks is I want to share with you some of the key ingredients that make up um, an unshakable faith and allow us to give time to do that. And my hope is, is that God will slowly but surely help you and I become that person, that person that we respect and that other people kind of are in awe of, that person that we all want to be deep down inside.